This is episode 290 with two-time Olympian and world championship silver medalist, the founder of Run Gum, and a YouTuber with more than a million subscribers, Nick Simmons. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement. Because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. Please connect with me anytime through strengthrunning.com or Instagram at jasonfitz1, and of course, you can find me on the Strength Running YouTube channel. And if you enjoy this podcast, support our sponsors who help us keep the lights on. First is the Mobo Board. Go to moboboard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. Invented by renowned physical therapist Jay DeSherry, Mobo helps you stabilize your stance with an innovative rocker board that's set up on these two fins. You learn how to improve stability with proper mechanics from the foot up. Learn more at moboboard.com and don't forget code STRENGTHRUN10. It'll save you 10%. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes AG1. I love AG1. It's the most popular greens mix available on the market today with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. And they're going to make it easy to help you take control of your health with a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason, and you can choose from a single purchase, or you can get a monthly subscription if you want to make this part of your ongoing nutrition plan. You can see all those details at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. This episode was created to inspire you to dream big and to tackle your next big goal. Joining me is the bison himself, Olympic 800 meter athlete and world championship silver medalist, Nick Simmons. After retiring from professional running in 2017, Nick has founded Run Gum, which I love, and has grown his YouTube channel to more than 1.1 million subscribers. Nick doesn't do anything small, and he's a great example of someone who tackles big, scary goals and isn't afraid to look silly failing. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Nick Simmons. All right, Nick, after nearly six and a half years, welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be back. You're actually our first guest back in episode number one. And that's crazy to think about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, know, right? I think I said I had to be five plus years ago because I think the last time we talked, I was just launching Run Gum. So it's gone by like that, you know? Yeah, I know. Now we're here in episode 290. Uh, you were building Run Gum back when we first started. And, you know, mm-hmm. when we first chatted, I think it was the fall of 2016. And I don't think you had started your YouTube channel at that point. No, I launched the YouTube channel to kind of overlap with the last two weeks of my pro running career. I I knew I wanted to be a YouTuber when I retired from running. I was like, oh, I I should vlog the last two weeks of my pro running career. That'd be kind of cool. And so I literally just like, hey, guys, I'm getting ready for USA's. Today, I'm doing a seven mile easy run. Like, come run with me. And I think we went from like zero subscribers to maybe like 3000 subscribers in the first couple of weeks, which... If you're a YouTuber, you know that's the hardest thing. It's just getting off the ground, getting to 3,000 subs. Everything after that, you actually have an audience that you're entertaining. But getting off the ground on a YouTube channel is so hard. So I thank my wife and my business partner and everybody around me who encouraged me to start a YouTube channel at that time. It was it was fortuitous. Yeah, it sure was. And you've been very busy since then, not just with Run Gum, but also the YouTube channel. I think now it has well over a million subscribers. So give us a little bit of a rundown over the last six years. I mean, what has been going on with you? What's new with Nick Simmons? So I retired from pro running in 2017. And I just, I, I knew I could find a way to replace the income. I knew I could keep working out. What I couldn't figure out was how I was going to keep entertaining people because it had become such a critical part of who I was and, and what I love to do. And that was step on the track and throw my hands up and sign autographs and take pictures. And yes, there's an ego part of that that I like to feed, but I just wanted to keep having this uh, interaction with the, with the crowd and with the audience. And if I wasn't going to be able to entertain them on the track, maybe I could entertain them in my YouTube videos. And that was kind of the, the idea behind it is I want to make YouTube videos to keep 
this this relationship with these fans that I've created over the last 12 years as a pro runner. And so certainly in the beginning, it was just fun little running tutorial videos. Hey guys, this is how you run a better 800 or this is how you get out of starting blocks. And you know, we got to an audience of about 20,000 runners doing that. And then I kind of felt like, well, I, I didn't really get into this to, to educate. I got into this game to entertain. How could I be more entertaining? And I kind of watched what's, what some of the basketball YouTubers were doing, where they would just like show up to a basketball court somewhere and play pickup and record it. And I'm like, what if we did that for running? What if I just took two cones out to Breeze Trail and I set them up 40 yards from each other and said, all right, if you beat me in a race, I'll give you 100 bucks. And that video went super viral. I mean, it got like 5 million views in a month. And I was like, okay, I think I found my niche here, which I called, you know, fun with fun with running at the time. Like how, how can I be the most entertaining running YouTuber there is? And we got to probably about 300 subscribers doing that. 300,000 subscribers, excuse me. And then it was really, okay, we've plateaued in the running niche. How do we expand beyond that even? And it became fun with fitness which is kind of where we are today. And we do three different types of videos, I would say. Uh, they're either running-focused, calisthenics-focused, or lifting-focused. Um, and I've been working hard to try to bring those three cohorts together. Like, what's a concept that I could do that would, like, unify all of my different, you know, focuses? Um, and so we could talk about that a little later, but I built an obstacle course that will hopefully unify all three cohorts. Yeah, I definitely want to touch on the obstacle course race. But uh, I, I got to say, with what you've done with your YouTube channel, you're one of the people that took some of the more mainstream, fun, entertaining videos and applied them to running. And all of a sudden, I was actually interested in watching these videos because I, I wasn't interested beforehand, you know, when it was just random stuff. Yeah, I mean, I totally hear you. One of my favorite messages I get is people who like, I never got I never liked running. But after watching your videos, I started running. And now I'm signed up for my first 5k or something. You know, what a great way to like, feel that we're providing a service to the community a little bit, you know, just inspiring people to, to find running. And I think what it comes down to is that running at the pro level, or even the high school collegiate level, it's, it's very organized and very pre planned and packaged. And I understand why it is that way. But I always felt like, Running is this very free thing. It doesn't cost a lot. You don't need a lot of gear. You can do it anywhere. Um, and so I thought we could bring that freedom to the to the concepts. And so obviously there's the pop-up races. But then just, you know, every year I host something called the Nick Simmons Track Classic where I just say, I'm going to be at this track at this time and we're going to run this event. Everyone's welcome. There's going to be prize money and we'll just make a video out of it. And it's one of my best performing series like we made a video last year um, of a high jump, just same thing, pop-up high jump. I, I got the school to let me use their high jump pit. And about 30 kids came out and tried high jump for the first time. And it got 2 million views. So I'm saying <laughs> like track and field running. I mean, it's a popular sport. It's the most participated sport at the high school level um, by numbers. There are millions and millions of kids that love this sport. But when they go onto YouTube, they want to be entertained. And so how do we entertain them? in a way that's going to, you know, keep, keep their attention. And I think that we, we've started to really like create content that's not only inspirational and motivating, but also educate, uh, uh, entertaining. Yeah. And it, it's so funny that you got all these kids out to like, try the high jump, which is such a admittedly, it's a, te it's a technical niche. one. Yeah. Yeah. Very niche. And you know, my running origin story is kind of funny because as a middle schooler, I was second in the school in the high jump as like a four foot 11, you know, little skinny kid. And then I went out for the cross country team because my parents told me it was like track. So I th actually thought I was going to high jump in cross country, oh, nice. showed up in long mesh shorts <laughs> and basketball shoes and, and quickly learned the ins and outs of cross country. Um, but I love that you've made it more entertaining because, you know, I, I come from this same organized high school and collegiate track and cross country background where, you know, my thinking about the sport is very organized. And sometimes you just have to get away from that and just have fun with it, be a little bit more free. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is in 2017, when you retired, you said something, Nick, that has lodged in my brain and I haven't stopped thinking about it since you said it. Oh, I'm excited to hear it. I'm going to paraphrase, but you said something along the lines of, I have never been more in love with running, but at this point in my life, I really can't do the training anymore. And I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit because I think there's so much wisdom and nuance to that. 
So if you, you know, pulled me at any time of my life, uh, when I started running in eighth grade, Nick, do you love running? I'd be like, hell no, I hate this. I'm only doing it because I'm too small to play soccer or ice hockey, which is what I want to be doing. Even in college, Nick, you know, you run at the division three level. You're not getting a scholarship. You must be doing this because you love it. No, I'm doing it because I feel like I want to see how good I can get, you know, or as a pro, Nick, you know, you've devoted your entire life to this, made so many sacrifices. You must love it. And I'm like, no, this is my job. And, and they're, they're, I, I love my job, but I don't love running necessarily. So I never had this true, like, I wasn't, there, there are definitely runners out there that just love to run. You know what I mean? I wasn't that guy. But as I could see my career coming to an end, and as I could see that I, my body wasn't performing the way it had before, there almost became this like infatuation with it. Like, oh my God, I do love to run so much. And I'd love nothing more than just going out and pounding, uh, you know, nine mile, nine miles in an hour, just go out there and, you know, that clip where you're just like in the zone and flowing and, and at miles are coming effortlessly. I just, I forgot how much, I guess I'd taken it for granted. You know, that's how I would describe it. I'd taken it for granted how great that feeling is. And now at 40 or almost 40, I'm 39. I can't hardly run at all. Like I, I feel that I wish I could go back and kind of like shake young Nick and be like, you don't know how great this is. Um, so it, certainly when we talked in 2017, I was getting to that point where I could no longer train at the level that I wanted to train at. I could no longer train at the level I needed to train at to continue to be a pro. And I was trying to just savor every single mile that I could. And I had this similar, uh, similar feeling the other day. Someone said, hey, Nick, it must be really uh, depressing that you can't run the way you used to. And I said... I don't know if I'd call it depressing. I'm bummed that I can't run the way I used to, but I appreciate every mile that I'm able to run infinitely more today than when I was 25 and took it for granted. If I go out and run a three mile run and it's not pretty, it's like me just like waddling around at eight minute pace. You know, it's, I, I, I just can't tell you how grateful I am for every single step that I get that my knees and, and hips don't hurt, you know, cause they hurt a lot. But if I can go out and just, get that 30 minute run in. I just am like, so thankful that my body allows me to do that. Do you think you might have had a longer career or, or would have wanted a longer career if you had specialized in a longer event that maybe was a little bit less intense than the 800? Yeah. And I think that's why you see marathoners, 10k runners that, that go so much farther. It's, it's not just the engine, it's the pieces, right? Like my knees and ankles and hips are just so worn out from the turns from like, you know, if you go out to a track and you crank an all out 200 and I was doing my 200s in like 21 or 22 seconds, the amount of torque going through your ankles and knees and hips is just through the roof. And so, yeah, I, I wore the tread out on my tires pretty fast doing that. And I don't regret it, but I do think that if I'd put a lot more of my miles on the trails and the roads, like, you know, a lot of athletes do, you end up having more longevity for sure. Well, I can't say I've run a 21 second, 200. So I'm gonna have to take your word on it for the, for the torque yeah, there. That, that'll, that'll light you up. You have to be in an ice bath for, for a good little bit after one of those. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I also pretty much stopped training competitively. You know, obviously I wasn't a pro runner, but you know, stopped training. And now I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit back into it. I'm starting to like reignite my passion for it. And, and just last weekend, I ran a 5k at my prior marathon race pace yeah. and I am so thrilled with it <laughs> yeah. and, and it's the same feeling. I am just yeah. so excited to be able to perform at a little bit of a level that I maybe used to. You just catch that, that little bit of a glimpse of your old fitness level. And it's really exciting because like you said, I think at this age and you know, I think you said you were 39, I'm also 39. I'm just so grateful for not only the running I can do now, but just the memories of what I used to be able to do. It's very special to me. Well, like I'll go back and watch videos of me when I was running in my prime. And I'm like, what was wrong with that guy? Like he was possessed. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I look at, I look at like 25 year old Dick Simmons. I'm like, that kid really wanted to be a great runner. I, I don't look at him and I say that kid loved to run. because I know he didn't. I said that kid wanted to be the world's best 800 meter runner. And there's a big difference between those two things, you know, and I was just, I truly, I was possessed. I was just obsessed with this idea of finding out how good I could be. And I never missed a workout. I never skipped a swim or a lifting session or, you know, cut corners during the training because I, I knew I owed it to myself to see just how good I could be. 
And I could say at 39, looking back, I, won, I, I 100% found how good I could be. I don't think there's a single tenth of a second in there anywhere else. And it's really a nice feeling to be able to get to the end of your pro career and say that. Because not, not a lot of people get the chance to find out how great they can be. And even fewer, you know, once they turn pro, get the chance to actually finish out a career. Usually there's injuries or financial issues that make it impossible. And I, I look back and I'm like, I, I truly, truly feel that I found every single hundredth of a second that I could find in the 800. Nick, I think that's really profound. I mean, how many pro runners can say, I realized my potential. I did as much and as good as I could over my if you, career. If you interviewed 100 pro runners, I'll bet you 97 or 98 would say, oh, I could have, I probably could have done better here, here, and here. I, I mean, you know me, like I'm the, the, the short, stocky kid from Idaho who ran 142.95. It doesn't make sense. Like my body was not meant to be a distance runner. And somehow I, you know, stubbornly put my head down and found a way to run 142.95. I, I think to this day, there's a lot of pundits and, and commentators who still just like, I don't really know how he did it. My coaches <laughs> would say he was just stubborn. You know, he wasn't the most physically gifted, but gosh, he was just so freaking stubborn. And that stubbornness led me and, and durable. I don't want to take that away. I think you have to add the fact that I was durable because so many athletes end up having to, you know, call it quits because of, because of injury. I was, I mean, you could shoot a cannonball at me in my twenties and I'd bounce back and get my workout in the next day. Like I was super, super durable. And that help allowed me to just per persistently train day in, day out for years. Um, I didn't peak till I was 28 or 29. So that's actually quite late for most middle distance runners, but having come through, you, you know, Idaho, a small state, and then the division three ranks, I had really delayed my progression um, by about four to eight years. So it makes sense why I peaked so, so late in life. Yeah. And as a fellow division three guy, I mean, seeing any, any person come out of D three and then go on to not only be professional, but to be world-class, to win an Olympic medal. I mean, it's almost like a coup. You know, you get every D3 <laughs> yeah. kid behind you pumping their fist, you know, like, he's one of us, and we get so pumped about it. I'm glad you still remember that. You know, nowadays, most people think I went to Oregon, especially because I still live here and I shoot all my videos at University of Oregon. They're like, so what year did you graduate Oregon? I'm like, I never even went here. <laughs> but most people <laughs> they think I went in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Nick, you know, just because you retired from competitive running, it, it doesn't mean you're not still working out like a madman. You're doing all kinds of really cool things these days from interesting challenges and, and different disciplines besides just running. So it's a lot more than running. So I'm curious, like what you're up to right now. Do you have a current fitness goal that you're going after? Yeah. So I set this weird goal a couple years back kind of wanted to combine my love of running with my love of lifting. And I saw this guy who did a 500 pound deadlift at a track, right? Like 500 pound deadlift and then just took off sprinting and ran a sub five minute mile. His name's Michael Moralia. And I was like, that's so cool. I want to be able to do that. So at the time I could run about a 430 mile, but I couldn't deadlift more than 300 pounds. And so I said, well, obviously I got to work on my deadlift. And over two and a half years, I've built my deadlift up to 500 pounds, but I can't break five for the mile now. So it's been this fun balance of trying to lift heavy at a light body weight, which is really hard to do. I did a 504 mile the other day at 189 pounds. So I think if I can lose a little bit more weight and still do the deadlift, I could get it done. But um, just, you know, it's, it, it's just random challenges like that. It's challenges like I'm in the middle of the CrossFit Open. I like CrossFit a lot. I still run. I still bike. I still swim. Um, if I had to put like a title on what I'm doing these days, it's just like, trying to stay in the best shape possible while also maximize, maximizing the fun factor. You know, like I'm not willing to make the sacrifices that I made when I was a pro runner, um, but I'm also not willing to not work out every day. So I work out six or seven days a week, but I want it to be the most fun that I can have to get those workouts in. You know, I'm pretty sure I saw Ryan Hall do yeah. exactly that challenge where yeah. he deadlifted some obscene weight and I think then he ran lifted like 500 and then ran a mile, but he was like 528. And he's like, I don't think I can get under it. And it was an amazing performance, but yeah, I don't wish this goal on anybody. Like if you're listening and you think this sounds like a good goal, it is not, it will torture you. It's just so it's easy to lift. I mean this, it's easy to deadlift 500 pounds if you just lift and eat food. And it's easy to train yourself to a sub five minute mile. If you just diet and exercise like crazy, but to put those two together is like 
pulling on two ends of a rope, constantly tug of war. And that's where I'm at right now. It's like, well, if I lose weight, I can't lift the 500 pounds. But if I'm heavy and lift the 500 pounds, I'm too too heavy to run the five-minute mile. So I might give it one more shot here in about a month. And then if that doesn't work, I'm going to have to move on to something else. <laughs> it's been a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, two plus years now. I've been banging my head against the wall at this one. <laughs> now, what's your PR in the deadlift? Are you much over the 500 level? I'm right at 500. It's a, I've, I've lifted 500 one time in my life. But doing it in a gym and doing it at the track and spikes are two totally different things. Yeah, I can imagine you're not using like lifting shoes and then doing like a triathlon transition where you're changing into your racing spikes, are you? Yeah, exactly. You've got to deadlift in the spikes and it's not that hard, but like, you know, you're out of the track and it's just a different environment than the gym where you're used to lifting. Um, Just hauling 500 pounds and the barbell out to the track is a nightmare. You know what I mean? Like I got this wheelbarrow and I'm moving 500 pounds of, of, uh, bumper plates out to the track. It's not ideal. Well, you're still running other races, Nick. I mean, I, I actually just watched a video from a couple months ago where you raced a bunch of middle schoolers in a 3000 meter cross country yeah. race. That was so much fun. You're still getting after it, man. H- how sore were you from that 3k? I mean, if you watch the video, the middle schoolers beat me. So like the fact <laughs> yeah. that I'm losing 3k cross country to middle schoolers will give you an idea of the kind of shape that I'm in. Um, but I think one of the things that works well on, on our YouTube channel is I recognize that I'm well past my prime and I, I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm not afraid to get my butt kicked by middle schoolers. I'm not afraid to lose to everybody. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone. I'm trying to just have fun. And, you know, one of the best compliments I got was from somebody the other day who said, Nick is the most relatable uh, fitness influencer. Like he's, he's just like me. And then they said, dot, 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 minus the whole Olympian thing, you know? So like, <laughs> yeah. I want, I want the Olympian thing to just be like an asterisk, like a side note. I want people to say, I just like that this guy isn't afraid to try things and isn't afraid to lose and isn't afraid to laugh at himself. I think so often runners take themselves so seriously, especially at the pro level. Pros take themselves so freaking seriously. They have a hard time laughing at themselves. They have a really hard time admitting when they've had a bad race. They've always got some excuse. Oh, well, you know, we haven't started tapering yet. And, oh, um, you know, I'm coming off of an illness or I'm coming down from altitude. It's like, just say you had a bad race. It's okay. Everybody has bad races. So I, I try to just, you know, take that like really sterile, rigid, you know, fearful side of running and, and throw that out the window and just show a more playful, um, self-deprecating, fun side of it. Well, I think your playful side and the fact that you're not afraid to try new things is just so inspiring to me. I mean, yes, you have that high level running experience. Yes, you're an amazing 800 meter runner, two time Olympian, but you're also someone who's become a pilot. You've built a YouTube channel with more than a million subscribers. And of course, you founded RunGum. Would you say that it's fair to say that you're not afraid to start new, like big things? I mean, what mentality or or mindset skill set do you think that you have that allows you to do these kinds of things, to pursue these huge goals and actually accomplish them? I think it's uh, it kind of goes a step further. It's not only that I'm not afraid to start big new things, it's that I only want to start big new things. So the problem that I have is I love the creation and the risk that comes with starting a big new thing. I'm really bad at managing those things once they're launched. So a good example is run gum. I mean, I, I, I would lay in bed till three in the morning thinking about this company and how do I make it bigger? How do I get it into Target? How do I get into Walmart? How do I grow the brand? And, you know, that was the fun ramp up phase. And then at some point it has to actually be managed like, an, you know, an active business needs to be. So I hired a CEO to manage run gum. And now I'm pretty much, you know, just a silent investor. Um, and the YouTube channel almost feels like that in some ways as well. Like the ramp up phase, I was obsessed with hitting a million subscribers. And then when we got there, I was like, well, now what do I do? You know, so I have to keep reinventing the channel in order to keep inspiring me to get up and keep pushing the boundaries. Like if we're not trying crazy big new things, I'm going to get bored and, as an entrepreneur, the worst thing that can happen is you get bored. You can handle stress, you can handle risk, but most entrepreneurs I know can't handle boredom. And that's one of the things I love most about this YouTube channel is that I can we can reinvent what the channel is whenever we get bored. So 
you know, we just spent $100,000 producing a series called the Impossible Obstacle Course. I built this obstacle course here in Cresswell, Oregon, seven obstacles designed to test athletes in seven unique ways. And the first person to win, to, to complete the course is going to win $25,000. So this is like taking everything we've learned from the first million subscribers from doing it for five years. And now how do we take that to the next level? Because just making running tutorial videos, you know, as fun as that was in the beginning, I eventually got bored. Then making these pop-up running videos was so fun, but we could see a plateau forming. And now we're trying to go to the next level. And that's what YouTube is. You know, what works for you in the beginning isn't going to work for you in the middle, isn't going to work for you, you know, on the, on the next level up. And so you have to keep reinventing yourself. And I think that keeps it fresh for me and the team. Yeah. One of the words you just said that I want to uh, put a highlight in is the word obsession. And, and yeah. I think, you know, you were talking earlier about your obsession to be the best runner you could be. And you were a man possessed. You were singularly focused. This was your goal. And then when you retired, it seems like run gum. That was your thing. Yes. You know, you saying I'm staying three up until years. three in the morning, yeah. just wondering how do I get into all these big stores? And, and now you're obsessed about you're reaching a million YouTube subscribers and you've hit that goal. Is, is obsession like the key? Because when I look back on my running career, I was obsessed like you at becoming the best runner that I could be. And it was such an, a fascinating obsession for me. And it lasted for a very long time. I think that that's a, that's a gift, right? Like not everybody feels what you felt when you were ramping up your running career. Like it's rare to find something that you get so excited about that you physically can't sleep. You know, like you're just, it's 3am and you're staring at the ceiling and you're like, I can't sleep. I'm so, so excited about what I get to work on tomorrow. I don't, I think most people, they never experience that. They don't get bit by something. You got bit by the running bug. I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug, or now I'm bit by the YouTube bug. It's such a huge gift to feel that level of excitement. You owe it to whoever gave you that gift, whatever, you know, force gave you that gift to, to pursue it. And so as I lie there, you know, once it was running, once it was run gum, now it's YouTube. If you feel that, I, I just think it's such a huge gift. Don't look that gift, you know, gift horse in the mouth. You got to pursue it with everything you got. And uh, I, I imagine that it will come a point where something else bites me and it's not YouTube and I'll throw myself wholeheartedly into that. But for some reason, over the last five years, this idea of growing this audience and motivating people to get out and, and be active and have fun with their fitness. It's just been a really like solid, motivating sense of purpose for me. Yeah. And one of the things I'm picking up on too, Nick, is, is it's almost like no matter what you're doing, yes, you're obsessed with this thing. Yes, you're, you're almost like really interested in seeing what you personally can achieve in all these different areas. Is it also fair to say that you don't really care if you look silly? So, you know, you don't care that you're a D3 runner. You don't care that maybe your running form wasn't, you know, the <laughs> idealized form. You know, you don't care that you're going to lose to a bunch of middle schoolers in a cross country race. Is, is there this element of, I'm going to look a little stupid doing this, uh, but who cares? Let's just have some fun. Jason, I'll be honest. I've looked stupid doing just about everything I've ever attempted. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I, I am, I'm just a goofy. You said it, not me, Nick. <laughs> yeah, right. I've, I've heard it enough on online, so it's it's all fine. But like, seriously, I, I I think about myself and I'm like, I'm just a short, stocky kid from Idaho who grew up on a farm and wasn't afraid to like, look like an idiot. I, w I was kind of the class clown in high school and I just never minded looking stupid. I, what I mind is, is looking, like taking myself too seriously. Like any, any time I really had to like focus and be serious, it always came off as fake. Like, especially in, as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of times where like I had to put on a suit and pitch to investors. And I always just was like, this is so not me. And my business partner who knows me is like, this is so not you, but I had to play that role, of course. But um, no, me and my element, I'm, I'm in, you know, track joggers and a t-shirt, just looking like an idiot and entertaining kids. And, and I think I, I come back to that a lot. It, the fact that our audience is skews young I think that helps me a lot because I, I'm not trying to impress other 39 year olds. I'm, I'm really trying to impress a bunch of 13 year old kids and it's fun, you know, like, and they are not taking themselves that seriously. And I don't want them to, I want them to see me not afraid to fail and to see me, you know, trying to just have fun and try new things. Um, 
I always joke with my wife. I'm like, my my reason for being is to impress a bunch of 13 year old kids. <laughs> it's it's really true though. If you look at our cohort, our, our audience skews pretty young. Um, you know, 80% is between the ages of 13 and 23. And, you know, I just I, I want these kids to find that passion and that love for something. It doesn't have to be running, but the way you and I thought about running for so long, I want them to feel that about something. It could be swimming, CrossFit, yoga, cycling. I don't care. I just want that young person to lay in bed at night so excited for their workout tomorrow. Oh, I love it. I love it. Nick, did your penchant for being the class clown or taking yourself uh, a little too lightly, did that ever, ever get you in trouble? Because I'm the same way and it's gotten <laughs> me in trouble more times than I can probably share on this podcast. There's, there's, if you guys remember Frank Agliano, uh, he was my coach from 2006 to 2008. And he's this gruff old New Yorker with a thick accent. And he is just such a great human being and such a great coach. But, you know, he, he was like hurt. It was like herding cats with OTC in the first year. We had 30 athletes. They were all young developmental pros. And, you know, we were just such slappies goofing around at practice. I mean, we're pro athletes and we're just goofing around the whole time. And the things that Gags would say to us, I can't repeat on this podcast, but he would just yell the, the most craziest obscene phrases at us because we were such idiots. And one day, like, you know, he really had to take me aside. And he just said, listen, I know you like to goof around. I know that you're having fun out here. Do you have any idea how good you can be? I'm like, well, I'm already a pro. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about being a pro. I'm not talking about making an Olympic team. I'm talking about being the best in the world. You actually, he goes, and I've coached a lot of medalists or a lot of Olympians. He said, you actually have what it takes. And hearing that from Frank Gagliano, who at the time had coached more human beings onto US Olympic teams at the middle distance events than anybody else, it just like, whoa. And and I, I would say I came to practice maybe a little bit more focused after that. Yeah, you could be focused and still be so focused that you know when to focus on being a class clown. Exactly. Jason, that, that's, that's when I talk about periodization, I talk about it a lot in like some of the stuff I've written or the videos I've made. I wanted people when they saw me in the fall to laugh and be like, that guy is the best on the team. That's the Olympian because I was 10 pounds overweight. I was goofing around at practice. I wasn't hitting times that anyone would, you know, write home about. But if you saw me in April or May, six months later, you'd be like, oh, okay, now I see. I couldn't focus for 12 months out of the year. Heck, I couldn't even focus for six months out of the year. But from May 1st through the end of August, you've never seen somebody more focused. I mean, you, you would just put your head down and be like, that is the possessed person that makes teams. But I definitely couldn't do that year round. And so in the fall, I was you, my goofy, just put in the work, put in the miles, but have fun doing it. And then progressively throughout the season, get more and more focused. I always viewed that as a survival strategy because look, running is so hard that if you're taking every run, every workout, even every race, like it's the last run you're ever going to go on and everything has to go perfectly that's a really easy way just to get mentally burned out with your training and you don't want to run hard after that. No one can do it. And I, I hear all these kids that really want to be successful in, you know, the, the prep level or the collegiate level. And they're like, well, I don't understand. I have to, I have to be on for state championship cross country and I want to win States indoors and I want to win States outdoors. And I'm like, good luck. That's physically impossible. Unless you're like, you know, a prep superstar. I say, What's the point of that? You know, like I, I would run cross country and I'd take it somewhat seriously. And then I never ran indoors in the high school or collegiate level because I knew I needed that time to recuperate and build another base. So I always say, you know, even if you're running cross country and indoors and outdoors, choose one where you're really, really going to focus and bring an, bring a B plus a minus effort to the rest of it. But you get, you really only get one true periodized cycle. And I always chose outdoor track. Yeah, that's probably the the more important season for an 800 meter runner. Yeah, I mean, if you're a cross country runner, you better peak for cross country. But then you're using indoor and outdoor track as like working on your speed, you know, or working on things that you need to, to develop. And, and that's not to say you can't still have a great track season. I'm just saying instead of extending your track season all the way into September, 
like you, like, you know, some kids can, you probably should shut it down and start focusing across country because that's your, that's your meat and potatoes. Yeah. I think this is really good advice for, for younger runners who might be competing at the high school or the college level that, you know, if you're taking every season so seriously that it's, it's getting to the point where you're worried about every performance, you know, it's going to be really hard to mentally stay so engaged with your training. And, and I think the only reason I was able to run three seasons for eight years of high school and college is because I used to goof around a lot. And while I took races seriously and workouts seriously, I don't think there was a single distance run where I didn't almost fall off the side of the trail laughing hysterically because we were just goofing around. <laughs> that's, the best, that's the best part of the sport, though. You know, like <laughs> if, if, I, if I, you ask me what I miss most about it, not the travel, you know, not the races. I miss goofing around with my buddies in high school. You know, like we would we would go for these crazy runs along the Boise river and halfway through we'd stop and swing on the rope swing, you know, and then jog back with waterlogged trainers. I mean, that's really where you fall in love with running. I think. Yeah. I have so many stories like that from high school and college where, you know, you're not exactly doing a hundred percent of what you should have been doing out on that distance run, but yeah, you know, it made you fall in love with the sport. And, and I think that's the key. That's what keeps you coming back. Right. If you're a 16 year old kid, you, you probably don't want to go out and do a five mile tempo, but you're going to do it because your team needs you and you love your team. You know, and I, I think that's where I first learned that maybe I don't love the training, but I love the sport, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of the training, you know, when you retired from competitive running and stopped training, do you think all of that training and the skills that you learned as a pro runner gave you an advantageous skill set for being an entrepreneur? You know, like what did you learn from your running career that you brought into your entrepreneurial life? I, I do get that a lot, especially when I'm talking to other entrepreneurs and they're like, well, you know, how did running prepare you for it? I think not being afraid to fail is probably the superpower of the entrepreneur where you're like willing to take risk. And, and a lot of times it doesn't go the way you want it to. And you have to pick yourself up and just keep persevering. I mean, that, that sounds a heck of a lot like distance running, right? Like it's not going to always go well. You're going to have to put your head down and do the work and pick yourself up and just know that if you work hard and you persevere, you know, you will find some level of success. Um, that was my entire running career. And that's been my entire entrepreneurial career. It's not a, it's not a perfect linear rise to the top. It's this horrible up and down roller coaster of setbacks and disappointments and dusting yourself off and continuing to try new things. Um, there's not a lot that has happened to me as an entrepreneur that has really phased me. It's always felt like playing the same game I was playing when I, dropped out of the path. You know, I was originally going to be a doctor that would, would have been a fourth generation surgeon. And I said to my parents, I said, I'm going to put that on the back burner so that I can try to see if I can make this Olympic team in two years. I mean, that's the exact same mentality that makes a great entrepreneur. Hey, I know I could go get that cush office job, but I think instead I'm going to work for free at my own startup for the next few years and see if I can build something. It's just the exact same mentality. Uh, as dropping out of med school to go make an Olympic team. Just take take a risk and know that you'd rather risk and f- take the risk and fail than look back and say, I wonder what I could have done if I if I'd taken that risk. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think I agree with you like a thousand percent on the superpower you learn from running is just the complete okayness with failing, you know, bad distance run, you know, you, you didn't quite make it to the bathroom on that long run. You know, how many times have we <laughs> all <fail>. had <laughs> those yeah. kinds of fails? Yeah. And, and you're right. Like, it seems like the entrepreneurial failures, uh, th- they're not as acute, you know, that you can't feel it the same way you can feel a running failure. And it, it really builds you up. So when you think about this roller coaster of ups and downs over the last, you know, five to, t- to 20 years, you know, is it scarier to run an Olympic final to uh, start a business and deal with all those challenges or to ask strangers on Venice beach to (laughs) race you while you wear a turtle costume. Like what's the thing that scares you the most? They all have their own like um, moment of anxiousness. Like before we go shoot a video, I always have this feeling of dread because I don't know how the videos, the shoot's going to go. And I always feel this sense of anxiety and like, what if, what if someone gets hurt or what if no one shows up or what if it's not a good video? And then, 
when we're in the moment, all of that just disappears because I have to be in the moment and be on camera and make sure that it turns out well. And same with running. I mean, I remember being in the call room, just this overwhelming feeling of what if I run poorly? You know, how will I get back? How will I, how will I pick myself up off this track and, and keep training if I have a bad race right now? You know, before an Olympics, especially when you know you may never make it back to that call room, right? Back to that track. You get one shot every four years. But I think the scariest is when you're doing it as an entrepreneur. And if there are entrepreneurs out there, know that that's part of the journey is betting on yourself, taking the gamble, putting your, your cash on the line. Um, and I think that the scariest part about that is that there's some stuff that's going to be out of your control, right? Like when I step on the track, most of the factors there are in my control. When I go to shoot a video, the, most of those factors I can control. But as an entrepreneur, you can plan for the, you know, the smooth path to success. And, uh, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And as an entrepreneur, I assure you, you will be punched in the face many, many times. I always joke when, when I was the CEO of RunGum, I, people said, well, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a firefighter. I literally just go to the office and put out fires all day long. And that's, that's literally pretty much what a CEO at a startup does. It's like, okay, where, where is, uh, where's the fire today? Like what, what giant, you know, like existential problem does the business face today? And then you just try to figure that out. Um, it's fun. It's exciting. It's scary. Um, you know, but if, if you're, if you're bred to be an entrepreneur, it's because, you know, you're laying in bed at night with this idea and, and you can't sleep until you test it out. That's how I felt about starting Run Gum, And it's how I felt about starting my YouTube channel. I was just like, I have to see if I can make this work. Rob Deerdick had this one great quote. Um, he's a great entrepreneur. And he said, uh, when people ask me, hey, do I have what it takes to be an entrepreneur? I say no. And he goes, I don't, I don't care if they do or don't. I already know they don't because they ask the question. <laughs> the entrepreneur doesn't ask that question. The entrepreneur says, I don't know if I have what it takes or not, but I have to try. I physically can't go on living if I don't try. I, you know, I, I can't get through a day. I can't sleep at night unless I try to see if I can succeed at this. And I think that's really true. The entrepreneurs that I know, it's not an option. It's not even a question of, of am I going to do this? It's I'm going to do this. Will I succeed? Yeah, the way I think about it, Nick, is that entrepreneurialism is not something that you are. You don't. You are not an entrepreneur. It's more like a verb. It's something you do. I entrepreneur. Problems, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Start things. It's tinker. It's grow things. You know, like you just are doing things. You don't have time to ask people. You know, am I going to be a good entrepreneur? Because you're too busy working on something, trying things out. And I, and everybody, every single person, I if they asked me that, I'd say. Not only are you a good entrepreneur, but you're also a very bad entrepreneur in any given moment, right? Like there are things about me that you would say, dang, he is such a good entrepreneur. And there are things about me where you're like, he is the worst entrepreneur ever because no one person has the skill set to do everything, right? And I think maybe that if you, if you wanted to chalk up one of my characteristics or traits that you would put in the good entrepreneur category. It's that I recognize that. And I know the things that I'm bad at and I'm willing to hire that out. You know, that's a, that's, that's a good starting point of an entrepreneur is to know your own weaknesses. Well, no matter what you're doing, Nick, it's a great journey for all of us to witness, whether it's your running run gum, your YouTube channel. Uh, I'm curious what you're up to next. You mentioned some kind of a very intense obstacle course race. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Is this open? Can we try it? Yeah. 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 So I, I love to give my subscribers what they want. And last year I asked, Hey, if I could build anything for you, what would you want to see? And they said, build us a Ninja warrior course. And I just was like, Oh my gosh, you guys know how expensive those are to build. But I, I was able to find some cheap, uh, shelf space here in Cresswell, Oregon, near Eugene and uh, rented 12,000 square feet, got all the lumber and the materials. And I built a obstacle course. Think of it like a Ninja warrior course meets a CrossFit competition. Um, and I wanted it to be that way because I think Ninja Warrior courses really test grip strength and upper body strength. And I wanted this to be more well-rounded. Um, seven obstacles designed to test athletes in seven unique ways. Uh, the first person to complete it is going to win $25,000. It's called the impossible obstacle course for a reason. No one has ever completed it. Um, I've completed six of the seven obstacles. Um, but 
that seventh one's a doozy. And uh, I know it can be done. Can you tell us which one is a doozy? The warped wall. I built a, I built the toughest warped wall in, in America. And there's some good warped walls out there. This one's, this one's a doozy. It's tough. It's 14 and a half feet tall. It's got a monster curve. And at the top are a set of keys that unlock a glass case full of $25,000. So visually very stunning. Um, my goal on, on any of these YouTube videos is just to see who's been training. I always sign off. I say, you guys better be training because it pays to be fit. I want to see who's been training. This obstacle course will show you who has been training and who hasn't. Cool. So are you going to hold like a big competition at some point? Is there, I, I don't feel like I've seen a video about it. Have I? No, we've been super top secret on this because once the cat's out of the bag, I'm going to have athletes from around the world trying to come compete. And so I really wanted this to be fair for everybody. And so on Friday, uh, March 3rd, I will drop a video showcasing the course, showcasing the obstacles and how you do them. Um, and then we already right now have announced the competition dates. So if you download the Nick Simmons Fit app, it's available on all devices. You have to go to nicksimmonsfitapp.com. You can download it for your phone. And in there is not only a tutorial on how to do the obstacles, um, but also a competition schedule. So it's open to the public. The location, dates, and times of the of the course openings of the shoot dates are available there in the app. So if you live anywhere in the world and want to participate, it is open to you. Come down, show us what you got. You might be winning $25,000. That is so exciting. Well, Nick, I wish I could make it to Oregon, but I'm going to include a link to the announcement video in the show notes on strength running because it's perfect. We are recording this before it's gone live. Oh, that's even better because right now you're listening and you're like, I really want to see what this course is made of. Go to my YouTube channel and the video is live and you can see you actually be able to see some competitors running it tonight. We're going to do a soft opening. Some of my CrossFit buddies are going to play around on it. We'll show you how they do. Oh, this is exciting, especially because, you know, you're such a showman. You're you're putting 25 grand <laughs> in a in a locked case. I mean, that's yeah. so exciting. That's, hey, that's YouTube, right? Like it's it's got to be good on camera or it doesn't count. <laughs> and that's more prize money than a lot of professional road races out there. Oh, so yeah. this is going to draw some people. That's the idea. I, I knew that like just in the area, we have some great athletes, but I wanted to make the course tough enough that it would take a few weeks to find the right athlete that could do this. And I'm already seeding it with some of the world's greatest CrossFitters, the world's greatest OCR racers, uh, nin- former American Ninja Warrior champions. Like if I, if I just told them that there was an obstacle course, some people would show up. If I told them the first person to complete this is going to win 25 grand, they're buying tickets and, and flying in specifically for this event. Well, it sounds really exciting, Nick. Congrats on the next evolution of your YouTube channel and all your fun adventures that you're planning. It's just been really exciting to, to follow along over the last better part of a decade. And I can't yeah, wait for the next you. seven plus years too. Yeah. Congrats to you. If we're at 290 now, we should check in again at help me with the math 560. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be at least, I need you in every 289 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Put me on the calendar. I'm there for it. <laughs> all right. It'll be like 2027. Love it. <laughs> All right, Nick. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you talking a little shop about your mindset and you know the way you think about running and fitness and training and entrepreneurialism. This has been really fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. That's our show today, my friends. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to pay it forward, please rate and review the show. Share it with your running friends or your running club, or you can invest in a training program at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. You can also support our sponsors who help me keep the lights on over here at Strength Running HQ. Use their links and discount codes and you'll support the Strength Running podcast and these great small businesses. First is one of my favorite strength and performance tools, the Mobo Board. Go to moboboard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. It was invented by renowned physical therapist Jay DeSherry. And Mobo helps you stabilize your stance with an innovative rocker board that's set up on two fins. There's a hole where your four little toes are supposed to be, which effectively forces you to drive your big toe into the board to improve your stability. You can hear Jay and I discuss stability training more in episode 275. 
Now, I know I mentioned this before, but <laughs> I was pretty arrogant going into my first session on the MOBO board. How hard can it really be to balance, right? Well, I was humbled pretty quickly. Even if you're a good runner, better balance, stability, and proprioception are all going to help you have a more powerful stride and help you prevent more running injuries. You'll learn how to improve the efficiency of the kinetic chain from your hip to your big toe, because as Jay likes to say, it's not just how strong you are, but how well you use that strength. Save 10% with code STRENGTHRUN10 at checkout at moboboard.com. Again, that's STRENGTHRUN10 at moboboard.com. I'm also grateful for the support of Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. And I love simple. I personally struggle with eating healthy all the time. I know I should be eating healthy, but what can I say? I'm a man of convenience, and I don't always prioritize a healthy diet when I know I should. So I'm finding their product, AG1, super helpful, especially now that I'm making a bit of a running comeback, and I know I need to support my body as I'm increasing my workload. Just one scoop of AG1 gives me 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a greens superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet, because I know I have them, and it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day, plus it helps support my immune system, and with all three of my kids in school, I know I need a healthy immune system. But what's really cool about AG1 is that the formula changes over time. Over the last decade, they've made 53 different improvements to the formula based on the latest research to make all those nutrients more absorbable and more rigorous with the third-party testing that they do. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason. You can see the great offer they've put together for our podcast listeners. You'll get a year's worth of free vitamin D, which is great in the wintertime. It's also supportive of your immune system. You'll also get five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. So it'll make taking AG1 with you for a weekend trail adventure or your next destination race super simple. You can sign up for a single shipment or for a monthly drop if you want to make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to sign up today. All right, that's our show this week, my friends. I appreciate you being here, for being part of the Strength Running community, and all of your feedback and support. We'll be in touch. 